Pastor Bill Russell here, Robinson Grace Church. So glad you have joined us for this edition of the Sundays at Grace podcast. Today I've entitled this message, Unashamedly Me. And I'm going to be dealing with this issue of authenticity and the masks we sometimes wear uh, to hide what's going on in our life. And I think you'll see you can take those masks off with great confidence in Christ. It's week four of our sermon series, A Spiritual EKG, where we're discovering that when we were saved, we got these new creation hearts that actually beat with God's desires. In other words, you want for you what God wants for you. How cool is that? Hey, if you go to our website, myrgc.com, you can download uh, sermon handout notes for this message and many other messages on the podcast. And you can also support us through some online giving if you would so desire. Hey, let's go right to the message. We start with a woman who went through the death of her marriage. Yes, a divorce. And she learned some interesting things about herself and about her church. Let's go right to the message unashamedly made. We'll start here. Um, uh, this is, unless you air your dirty laundry, it's an article called The Casserole Rules. Maybe you've heard this, I probably haven't. Unless you air your dirty laundry, divorce in the church is as isolating as a child's temper tantrum during the Sunday morning service. When my husband of 27 years suddenly and unexpectedly left, it was weeks before my large church pastors noticed I was missing from Sunday morning services. And even weeks more before someone called to check in. I can't blame them. I didn't reach out. I was busy. I was inhaling and exhaling, managing shame, scrounging for hope, paying bills and depositing what little emotional reserves I had to care for my devastated daughters, reeling family members and befuddled friends. I was too busy facing the disappointment of opening my eyes in the morning, realizing that God hadn't granted my nightly plea to take me in my sleep because I didn't know how to live this way. There were so many things I didn't know about how to go through an unexpected divorce. There was no YouTube video, no manual, no to-do list for how to do it well. Yet the one thing I did learn is that you won't get a casserole from the church when you're in the middle of burying a marriage. <clears throat> I realized this after the fact. A year after my husband left and before the divorce was final, my dear church friend lost her husband to a sudden heart attack. Here is the thing. I learned that when... When Joe, I learned when Joe died that I what I what I learned when Joe died is that I hadn't even thought of about my when my husband dropped off the face of the earth. There are dozens of casseroles in the church freezer. When Joe died, the church stepped up big for Sue. She had meals for months while she figured out how to manage the house and budget by herself. She had lawn boys and free electricians and pro bonus mechanics when her cars broke down. She received hundreds of cards from church friends. We watched them overflow her mailbox. Women came to clean her house. Strangers did her laundry and folded her towels. And not one person asked what she could have done differently to avoid Joe's death, or suggested that things would get better because some new man would snatch her up in a second. I am so glad I love her and I'm grateful for each person who stepped in to meet her in her grief and need. One time she gave me an extra casserole because her freezer was full. It was really tasty and I ate it for days after we wryly talked about, what, about the difference in our experiences of the death of a marriage. We both acknowledged the casserole rules. The church didn't give divorce casseroles except for the one she gave me. What an amazing article. 
And I love that article, and I love that transparency. Author Jill English, and found out she actually lives in Grand Rapids. Um, But I love her authenticity and her transparency. And authenticity, it's a a key component to our church here. We think about the casserole rules. Here's our church mission statement, to glorify God through authentic relationships that embrace and share the Christ life. And I want to talk today about this authenticity issue. And, And I've titled this message, Unashamedly Me, the idea being that we are called to live authentic lives where we are unashamed to be the person God has created us to be. Now, this, of course, applies to us who have been saved, who are in Christ. If we are in Christ, we do not have to be ashamed of who we are. Now, I know some of you would push back and say, well, I know me and I'm pretty ashamed of me sometimes. And if you know me, you'd be ashamed of me too. All I can tell you is that if you are in Christ, that assessment of your life is wholly inaccurate. And I would say wholly inaccurate. Think about this. Let's start with Adam and Eve just for a moment in the Garden of Eden. We see Adam and Eve in the Garden, and they are naked and unafraid, and they were created that way. And so here's Adam and Eve, and they were created with nothing to what? Nothing to hide. They had nothing to hide. Naked and unafraid, they didn't have a single thing to hide, which of course seems contrary to us today because we think, I got a lot of stuff to hide. A lot of things about me you wouldn't want to see. Now we know what happens next in their story, right? They eat the forbidden fruit they disobey God and the next thing is well first thing they do after the fall is Adam and Eve hide first thing they do is they run and they hide and they hide from each other they sew fig leaves together and cover up themselves and hide from each other and then they run into the woods into the trees and they hide from God So follow the trend there. They were created with nothing to hide. The minute they sinned, they all of a sudden have to hide or think they have to hide. Now, we got to compare that with God's immediate response to their sin, to their fall. What does God immediately do? Well, God immediately calls them out of hiding. He immediately calls them out of hiding. He sacrifices this animal. He clothes them with the animal skins and covers their shame so they no longer need to hide. You following a trend here? I don't think God wants us to hide. That was never God's intent from the start. We were not supposed to hide. We don't need to hide. He immediately restores his fellowship with Adam and Eve because he does not want them to hide. Now here's the thing. This animal that he sacrifices in the garden and he clothes Adam and Eve with, that is symbolic actually of who? Of Christ. And and if you follow your Bible, you'll find out that Adam and Eve's children and that I believe Noah and Abraham and all the way to Moses and the Mosaic Law, that God institutes sacrifices and for 4,000 years, the world's slaughtering animals for atonement to be in fellowship with God so we don't have to hide. But they're all symbolic. All of those sacrifices point to one ultimate sacrifice, They point to Christ. He is the ultimate sacrifice who takes away our shame and we no longer need to hide. And we can live authentic lives and be the person that we were created to be in Christ. Christ came, the once for all sacrifice to forgive sin, remove shame, and to offer hope so I could be unashamedly me and you could be unashamedly you. 
We do not have to ever be ashamed of who we are in Christ. That's the reality. So, I want to take this idea here. Take this idea now and apply it to our new creation hearts. We're in this series of spiritual EKG. We're talking about our heart. We're talking about how when we came to Christ, we became new creations. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are new creations in Christ. And um, the reality is, is what God did for us is real simple is that God did heart surgery on us and gave us new hearts that beat with His desires. We actually want what God wants. We really do. And I know that's, again, that's so hard for us because we think of all the times we don't want what God wants. That's just because we're being lied to by the enemy, just being lied to by the flesh. But in our heart, we really, we are a new creation and we want what God wants. We desire what He desires. That's the reality. Now, let me show you another passage that underscores this, this new heart we have today. And it's what, what we read at the outset of the service. So Titus read it for us. Hebrews chapter 10. Here's what it says. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And so we have a true heart. That means a genuine, a sincere heart. That's the idea there. In fact, here's a, a, bit, of a, a bit of commentary from the Strong's Concordance about that word true. That which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature co- corresponding to the name in every respect, corresponding to the idea signified by the name, real, true, and genuine. For instance, pure gold as opposed to adulterated material or adult, adulterated metal. Pure gold. We have pure hearts. We have true hearts. Why? Because we have been redeemed. We, we have been sprinkled clean. We've been washed by the blood of Christ. We have new hearts. It's much like that verse in Romans 12. Okay, be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Why can I be a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable? Because God made me holy and acceptable. Same thing here. So I, I draw near with a true heart. I have a true heart, a genuine heart that agrees with who Christ made me. A genuine heart because Christ has given me a brand new heart. And notice it's been sprinkled from an evil conscience. That evil, wicked, deceitful heart has been cleaned up. I have a brand new heart. And he goes on here in the passage though, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so here's the reality. We're to encourage one another. We're to encourage one another to love and good works. We're to encourage one another that, yes, we have brand new hearts that want, wants, wants what God wants, and, and we, need, we need to live with these true, genuine, sincere hearts, these authentic hearts. Here's our big idea. In Christ, we have a true and authentic heart that does not need to hide or want to hide from God and others. Two powerful things there. I don't need to hide from God. I don't need to run in the trees and hide. I don't need to. I've been cleansed once for all. 
I don't need to, I don't need to you know, daily stop and confess all my sins to get back in right fellowship with God. And I don't need to hide. I have a true heart, a sincere heart, a genuine heart. But the reality is, I also, I don't want to hide. That was never God's intent. He created Adam and Eve so they wouldn't hide. And the minute they ran off to hide, what did he do? What did he, do? he called them out of hiding and said, stop hiding. I don't want you to hide from me. I don't want you to hide from each other. And so we're going to talk about that this morning and this issue of authenticity. We've talked a little bit about this issue of authenticity already in the sense that when we talk about wearing new creation clothes in Colossians, you know, right? Those verses, that's being authentic. Wearing new creation clothes, that's just being authentic. That's who I am. This is the person I am inside and I put the clothes on on the outside that match who I am on the inside. And so you go back to Colossians. We were there a couple weeks ago and we read through all of that in Colossians 3 and all those new creation clothes we put on, that's just who I am inside. And I wear the clothes authentically outside that match it. And that's what I want to do. I really want to wear those clothes. I don't want to wear that old outfit. Yeah, it used to be a favorite outfit of mine, but now I'm a new creation and I don't like that old shirt anymore, even though sometimes I think I do. Here's the reality. This lady who didn't get a divorce casserole turns out she, as I said, lives in Grand Rapids. I'm just so grateful for that article that she was so transparent and authentic and didn't condemn anyone necessarily because she said if she had been in the same situation, she probably would have not done anything different. She just didn't see it that way until she was in that situation. So let's go to a great passage today to unpack this authenticity issue. And we're going to look at three things that we need to encourage each other and tell each other and provoke each other with to to remind each other of these three things. It's a great passage. Jesus is, is arrested on this very night before he's arrested. It's been a full night. He had the Last Supper, uh, the Passover meal with the disciples in the upper room. And then they go out and he does some teaching and some illustrations, right? Some object lessons. And then uh, they do some worship together, sing some songs together. And then he takes Peter, James, and John and they go into the garden to pray. And that's where we're going to be today. And then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, the twelve, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him... Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, you went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And in his, Jesus' most broken and transparent moment, that's where we're going today in this passage, how to encourage authenticity, three things we need to let each other know. And we start here in the very beginning there and note what it says that he, he took Peter, James, and John and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
and said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. We need to let people know in the church, we need to let people know it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. I think we just need to let people know that. Just because you're in Christ doesn't mean life will always be okay. In fact, sometimes being a Christian brings on its own unique challenges and our own unique attacks and persecutions. But the reality is it's okay to not be okay. You don't have to come to church and just plaster a smile on your face and pretend like it's all great. And I think, you know, I can be guilty of this, those of us up front, you know, where we, we, you come in for worship, right? You come in, you sing a song like, open up the heavens, I want to see you, open up the floodgates, a mighty river, you know, and we sing, and then you get done, and, and, and the person up front, you know, looks out and says, well, you don't look like you want to see Jesus today, where's that smile? Put a smile on your face. Sing it like you mean it. <clears throat> And you know, I'm not saying it's wrong to encourage us to sing out and encourage us to smile and to provoke us in that way. No, that's not bad. I'm also saying we need to be able to come and be authentically who we are. And, and, and sometimes we're, we're here singing, I want to see you. And someone's out there thinking, hey, I wanted to see you on Tuesday and I wanted to see you on Wednesday and I wanted to see you on Thursday and you didn't show up and I just don't know if I want to see you today. And, and that's okay to not be okay. And, and I've learned sometimes, too, on Sunday morning, it takes a song or two to get your bearings and to find your voice. And by that third song, sometimes we're getting our gusto. And, 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 and if, if you're not okay, you certainly don't want to stay home because you don't feel it because your answer to what you're going through might just be on that Sunday morning as you're singing, as you're worshiping, as you're listening to the message. You might just hear God come and speak to you and say, oh, I get it now. I didn't get it Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. I get it now. It's okay to not be okay. And I don't mean come and simply be a grouch either. There's a balance to all of this. But we can have authentic emotions and share how we really feel. And so it says here, Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus began to be sorrowful. I think that's significant. He began to be. It's like he had these emotions inside. And he was just waiting for the right time in the right company to express some of these emotions. It had been intense all evening. He'd been sharing intense things all night long. It, you know, for the, for the Passover meal, which is a celebration, it was a pretty dark night and a pretty somber celebration. He had said a lot of painful things. But here he began to be sorrowful. Jesus was troubled. He began to be sorrowful and troubled because Jesus was troubled. He didn't hide his feelings. There is a sense here to follow with Jesus that applies to us that you can differentiate how Jesus handled the multitudes that he preached to, the thousands, how he handled the 70 disciples, how he handled the 12 disciples. We know they were different because we know them by name, right? And then there's the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, that go with him to pray because they were a little closer to him. And John was the disciple he loved. And so you can see that Jesus had different levels of relationships and we all need that. We all need that. We all need that one-on-one -on -one ministry, those one-on-one -on -one Bible studies. Thank you, Cindy. We need that. So Jesus was troubled. The words used here are he was distressed, full of anxiety, even sorrowful to death. And we see Jesus, his demeanor, we see his facial expressions and body language gives way to his words, gives way to where he falls on his face and cries out to God and the disciples are watching all this. He's not hiding his emotions. There is an angle to the story, though, that we often don't miss, right? 
It's found in Luke's gospel. And, and the reality is we're usually pretty hard on the disciples, right? They fell asleep on Jesus in his deepest hour. They fell asleep on him. Why'd they, you know why they fell asleep? I never knew this. I never caught this until this week. It's in Luke 22. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Why were they sleeping? Because they were heavy in heart. They were sorrowful too. Jesus' words here, they were watching Jesus pray and they're like, whoa, something's going on with this guy tonight and I don't know if I can handle it. One commentator said that sorrow can make you sleepy. So I don't know. But even beyond this moment, Let's back up. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 shares what happens the night Jesus is arrested, right? And so as I said, they have the Last Supper and then he gives some, some, some teaching and they do some worship. And it's, it's really tough because this whole night he's talking about, he speaks of his death, he speaks of leaving them, he speaks of their persecution. And how did they respond to Jesus' words? John 16, 6 says this, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Why were they, why were they full of sorrow? Because this was a heavy night. Some heavy things were said, some heavy things to process. And they didn't understand him and they were confused and maybe a little scared. And so, they fell asleep. So the disciples, they slept because they were also troubled. Jesus, in his trouble and sorrow, prayed his way through it. The disciples, they slept their way through it. But you know, we, you know, the truth is here, it's okay to not be okay. And all Jesus wanted from them was, hey, watch with me, pray with me, be with me. And he was transparent. And he didn't even use the excuse, well, the disciples are having a hard time. I better not let them see too much of my anxiety. He's like, no, my anxiety, my sorrow intersects with their anxiety and with their sorrow. And it's the same thing. And I'm going to the cross to enter their sorrow. And tonight, I will let them enter mine. And they're going to understand this. In a few days, they're going to understand what was taking place here in the garden. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay if your marriage is not okay. It's okay if your child is not okay. It's okay if your finances are not okay. It's okay if your faith is not okay. If you come to church and you don't want to see the glory of God, that's okay. Sing a few songs and it might come back to you. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have doubts just like the disciples did. So we need to provoke people and encourage people and let people know it's okay to not be okay. Verse 41, though, gives us a second one. Watch and pray, says Jesus, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what? It is okay to not be strong. It is okay to not be strong. We need to let each other know that it's okay if you're not strong. Jill English, the lady who didn't get the divorce casserole, admitted part of it was on her. Part of it was that she disconnected and she pulled away and she didn't let people know what was going on in her life. And yet, part of that too is the culture we create in the church. You don't want to run around and say, hey, my marriage died. Can you love on me? No, we kind of hide in those times of shameful moments of failure. The reality is, what does it mean to... It, when it's okay to not be strong, that means it's okay to show our weaknesses. Oh, ouch. Who, who wants to do that? 
Let's stand up and go around the room and say what our weaknesses and what our struggles are right now. But listen, if Jesus can admit his weaknesses, if Jesus can pray and say, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with doing God's will. Whoa. I'm struggling with doing the will of God. And he can show his weaknesses and we can show ours. And the reality is, one common reality is, yes, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. But while the flesh is weak, the flesh is also unwilling to show its weaknesses. It's like, no, I got to put on a mask. I got to hide this. I don't want people to see what's going on in my life. So we wear masks to hide these common emotions and perceived weaknesses like fear and insecurity and hurt and loneliness and emptiness and depression and yes, even our sin. Do you want people to know when you're afraid, when you're hurting, when you're lonely, when you're depressed or struggling with a sin? I believe these are the kinds of emotions and the kinds of behaviors that cause us to put on masks. And the reality is there are circumstances and struggles behind these emotions and behaviors. Circumstances and struggles, catch this, that cause us to appear weak at best and failures at worst. Yeah, that marriage that failed, you know, it's a weakness and but really, it's a failure. Nobody can know that I failed at marriage. And so the irony here is that Jesus is experiencing these very same emotions. He is. Think about this. The light of the world is about to be consumed in what? Darkness. He's entering the darkness. He's never been in the darkness. Was he scared? Yeah, I think he was scared. It's a human emotion. He experienced all of our emotions Yes, I think he was a little scared. What's this going to be like? He felt fear and loneliness and hurt and even betrayal. He knows that Judas has already betrayed him. He just hasn't showed up yet. But in the garden, Jesus wears no masks and instead he wears his pain. The light of the world was transparent as he headed into the darkness. And we can too. Why? Because in Christ we have a true and authentic heart that does not need to hide or does not want to hide from God and others. We don't want to hide. We don't need to hide. We can be unashamedly who we are, even in our brokenness and even in our weakness and even in our pain. We, on the other hand, though, unlike Jesus, tend to put on the masks. Here are a few examples of masks. I'll read through these real quickly. I try to collect a a variety of things that we might relate to. If I read one that hits home, circle it. I I think I put some uh, box on your notes of these. Um, For instance, the I'm okay mask. When our world is falling apart, we put on the I'm okay mask. I'm okay. Uh, How about the it's okay mask when we want to avoid confrontation? Ever wear that mask? How about the it's your fault mask when life isn't going as planned? My life's not working out the way I want it to. I put the it's your fault mask on. How about the I don't care mask when we have been let down by somebody? We can't let them know that they really let us down. How about look at me mask when we perform to hide our insecurities? You don't got to perform for God, see? You don't have to have any insecurities. How about the I don't need you mask when we feel alone? Ever feel lonely? You go around and say, I feel lonely? You say, no, I'm fine. I don't need anybody. How about... That didn't, hurt, that, that didn't hurt mask when we have been deeply wounded and scarred deep within. and That didn't hurt me. I'm the man of steel. I'm Superman emotionally. How about I'm not saved, I'm not scared mask when yes, we really are. Or finally this one, 
I'm so busy mask when we want to hide our depression. No one, no anybody know I'm depressed. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so swamped with life. And the reality is we just want to hide our depression. We wear all kinds of masks just to hide our emotions so that no one will see our weaknesses. In fact, sometimes we wear masks like this. Consider these masks. Masks like sarcasm, anger, and arrogance. And you know what that tells me? Sometimes we are so desperate to hide things about ourselves that we wear some masks that are really unattractive. Think about that. I have so desperately got to hide my weakness and my brokenness that I'll wear a mask that's pretty unattractive. People are going to look and say, what a jerk. But at least they didn't see the real me. I love, I, I love this here. Well, the reality is, is we just have to encourage everybody that it is okay to take off our mask. That's the key. We just need to encourage that in the church. Come to church, take off your mask. You can be you. We don't have to wear masks because we are new creations in Christ. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We can put on new creation clothes and take off our mask. We can stop pretending and start trusting and live authentic lives. Brene Brown, a Christian author who is well known for her writings on authenticity and vulnerability and shame, she, she has this, this great comment here. I love this. Authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. And I think that's even more powerful than what she really, I think she's a Christian, but I don't know if she even knows how powerful that is. I, I read one Christian writing about this saying it was not a, they didn't like the quote. I'm thinking that's a great quote. Think about it. Authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be, our performance living and our living for someone's approval and living for someone's acceptance and, and it's embracing who we are and who are, who are we? We, we? Who are we in Christ? Yeah, we don't have to live for anybody's approval or acceptance. We are holy in Christ. Authenticity, embracing who we are in Christ. We have the ability to live incredibly authentic lives. We don't need to hide. We don't want to hide. That's the true reality of it. So, and at the same time, we need to let people know it is okay to need someone else. We talk about not being strong. It is okay to need someone else. And I believe Jesus is saying that himself. He takes Peter, James, and John with him and says, hey, I need other people with me right now. I can't do this alone. Don't miss that. Now, when I say we need other people, let me just want to add one caveat. We need people with specific credentials. And so look at this verse in First Peter or Second Peter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm going to steal that this morning and tell you, we need to find friends and people that we can be authentic with that have a like precious faith. That means people that are of faith and people that are in Christ, but more so people that understand grace like we do. That understand that when you're going through a divorce, well, well, maybe you did something wrong and God's judging you. And there are a lot of Christians who are going to go there. They're going to they're say, well, what did you do wrong in your marriage? A lot of judgment and a lot of condemnation. To, to know that when we go through a crisis or a hardship, that we're not being judged. We don't have to, to do anything to, to gain God's acceptance or approval. He approves of us in Christ. He loves us as a father loves his child. 
We talked about it last week. doesn't always approve of all the clothes we wear and all of our behavior, but he approves of us and he accepts us and he loves us. Find people of like precious faith. You need people who will not beat you down with law, but lift you up with grace. And so I'll give you one question before we move on to the last point. Just simply this. When the crisis hits your world, when something happens in your household with one of your family members, with your faith, who is the person in your life of like precious faith? Who is that person in your life? Who is your Peter, James, and John? Who do you do one-on-one Bible study with? And for Cindy, what a blessing that her daughter can be that person. I'll be honest, there are some people you can't turn to, your, to anybody else in your family and find someone of like precious faith. There's nobody that loves Jesus and understands Jesus and understands great. You need to find somebody. And we need to be that for each other here in the church. So it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be strong. And there's one last thing we need to encourage people with. And uh, let, let me start here and ask this question. Now, who does Jesus take with him to go pray in the garden? Not a tough question. Takes Peter, James, and John, right? Now, is it surprising that he takes Peter, James, and John? Is it surprising that he took Peter and James and John with him? Well, no, because they were always his inner circle. They were the ones that experienced the transfiguration with him. They were, they were his three closest. You know, you had the multitudes and the 70 and the 12 and the three, as I said, Peter, James, and John. It's not surprising. But then think about this. Let's just take one of them. Let's just take Peter. So here is Jesus in his most vulnerable, in his most broken, in his most weak moment, and he takes Peter with him to pray with him. Does that surprise you that he takes Peter? Shocks me, because I would not take Peter. Right? You know what happens, right? You know what happens. In fact, well, here's the, the, the last point. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to not be perfect. And earlier that evening, the chronology with Peter is they're in the upper room there and then they go out and and he's doing some teaching with them and and he says to them, you guys are going to desert me tonight and Peter's emphatic, hey, I don't care what these guys do, I will never forsake you. He's emphatic. Jesus says, sorry Peter, but tonight before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, no, not me, Lord. Now, To Peter's credit, what happens next in the story? After they're done praying in the garden, they come to arrest Jesus. There's like 300 soldiers come in to arrest Jesus, all these Roman centurions. And what does Peter do? Peter takes out his sword and hacks off the soldier's ear and says, okay, let's get it on. Yeah, I'm going to defend my master. I'm going to defend my savior. Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. And he heals the centurion's ear. He says, Peter, that's not the way this is going to go. And at that point, he lost Peter. And so we know how the story unfolds, right? Later on that evening, Peter emphatically, he gets, he gets called out for being a follower of Jesus, right? He's outed. And he emphatically says, with curses, I never was. Note that word emphatically. Emphatically, I will never leave you. And then emphatically, I do not know this man. I think I put the text on here. Jesus takes along Peter, who he knows will deny him. Here's the text immediately. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord 
turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and went bitterly, and, and that instant, the words of Jesus echo in his ears, and, and Peter is just broken in his spirit. He's broken in his spirit. And I believe this hurt Jesus as, as much as it hurt Peter. They both hurt equally. I think Jesus hurt for Peter. Jesus could put himself in Peter's shoes and he knew Peter was hurting and he hurt because Peter was hurting and he hurt because Peter had let him down and he was hurting. And if there was one thing he could have said to Peter in that moment, you know what he would have said to Peter? Pete, 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 you know what? It's okay if you're not perfect. It's actually okay if you're not perfect. It's okay if you're not always right. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to not be perfect. In fact, let me just tell you, you know, there is, there's only one thing you really have to get right in life. What is that? The gospel. Only thing you have to get right in life is the go- get the gospel right. You can mess everything else up in your life and you're okay. You're not going to want to mess everything else up in your life and God's going to help you not mess everything else up in your life. You just got to get the gospel right. And there are Adam and Eve, you know, and Adam and Eve, back in the beginning, they went to the tree of right and wrong, right? They ate at the tree of right and wrong, and they lived at the tree of right and wrong. And when you live at the tree of right and wrong, when you do wrong, it's, yeah, it's troubling. But if you go to the tree of life, where you put your faith and trust in Christ, and you walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, you know what? It's okay to be wrong, If we encourage authenticity in the church, we have to let people know it's not about our performance. It's not about always being right. It is about the performance of Christ. You see, I don't have to be perfect. And do you know why? Because Christ is. He is my perfection. He is my life. He is my hope. And I don't need mass to cover up my imperfections. I just need to trust in Christ. So Jesus takes the very one who's going to deny him in simply hours in the future and he takes him to pray with him. And what this means to you and me, this even goes deeper. This even goes deeper, the implications for you and me. It goes back to Colossians 3, and we talked two weeks ago about forgiving, having forgiving hearts, and how we really actually want to forgive. We don't want to hold grudges and be better. That's not who we are in Christ. We really want to forgive people. We do. We just hear the lies sometimes, and we struggle Colossians chapter 3, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is actually the New Living Translation, and I chose the New Living for the way it's just worded here, but there's those new creation clothes we talked about two weeks ago, right? Put those clothes on. But going on, he says this, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. But there it is, make an allowance for each other's faults. And, and so what, what's this really telling us? It's really telling us that, you know what? Wow, it's okay if you wrong me sometimes. I'm going to make an allowance and just say, you know what? Sometimes in our relationship, if you wrong me, that's okay. I'm not going to put a mask on and say that I wasn't hurt, but I'm also not going to hold it against you, beat you up for it. It's just amazing here. What Jesus shows us is so it's okay to not be perfect. And if you're not perfect in our relationship, that's okay. It's okay if you wrong me sometimes. That is all.
right. I'll make an allowance. I have enough, there's enough grace and forgiveness at the cross. I'll add this caveat. You don't have to, to stay in relationships with people who continually wrong you and abuse you and take advantage of you. You don't have to do that. But you know what? Let's just expect sometimes, make an allowance that sometimes we're going to be hurt. I have an interesting question for you this morning, though. Think about this. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, right? They're perfect. They're unashamedly themselves. And then here we are today and and, and, and just, just think how they were unashamed of who they were. Who had it better, Adam and Eve in the garden? Or, or, or do we have it better today? I think we'd look at that question and think that's kind of a no-brainer. Who had it better? And we live in this broken world and they live where they lived. But they lived in the garden. They're naked and unafraid. They could not see their nakedness. And why could they not see their nakedness? I've shared this before, but let's kind of, kind of bring this in with these thoughts here. Psalms 8 gives us the reason why Adam and Eve couldn't see their nakedness. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And down in verse 4, what is man? He's speaking about the initial creation here. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Why could Adam and Eve not see their nakedness? Well, remember when Moses would go up the mountain to be with God? And he spent time with God on the mountain and he came down and his face glowed, right? Well, here's the reality. When Adam and Eve were initially created, they just glowed. They radiated from the outside with Christ. They couldn't see. They were naked. And, of course, the minute that they sinned, what happened? Well, the minute they sinned, all that glory left, and all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are like, whoa, what's that? And they were ashamed, and they ran, and they hid. That's the beautiful reality of what's going on there. And the thing that we oftentimes can lose sight of is that here's the reality. See, Adam and Eve had God's glory on the outside. We have God's glory where? On the inside. We are the temple of the living God and the glory that would consume the temple and glow and shine. And so God's glory is inside of us and it shines out of our brokenness and it shines out of all those things. We want to put a mask on and God's like, no, don't hide. Just let my glory shine through your brokenness and through your weakness and through your, even your sinfulness. Let my glory shine through you so the world can see me in you. We don't have to run again and from God and hide. We don't have to run and hide until we confess our sins and we can be in fellowship again. We don't have to hide our brokenness and our weakness and our sinfulness. We don't have to pretend to be holier than we are because we can't be any holier than we are in Christ. <clears throat> and just know that God wants to shine His glory out of our brokenness. Let me go back to that question again. Who had it better, Adam and Eve, right? They're in the garden. They're unashamedly them. They're in the Garden of Eden. We live in this broken world. Who had it better? Adam and Eve over here, they commit one sin and what happens? They run and hide. We're over here. We can sin a hundred times every day and we never have to run and hide. We're perfect and we're holy and the glory of God consumes us from the inside. Who had it better? It's not as bad as we think it is and we don't have to wear the mask that we oftentimes think that we do. 
What did we learn today? We learned that in Christ we have a true and authentic heart that does not need to hide or want to hide from God and others. We learned that it's okay to be, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be strong, which means I can show you my weaknesses and my brokenness. And it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to not always be right. It's okay sometimes if you wrong me and I wrong you. We don't have to be perfect because Christ is. We don't have to perform because Christ did the ultimate performance on the cross. That's the reality. That's the reality. And I'll leave you with this. Back to Jill English, who went through the divorce and didn't get the divorce casserole, but here's the rest of her story. The very next summer, I was diagnosed, says Jill, with breast cancer. I learned that you do get casseroles for breast cancer. Elders visit, people pray, your name gets mentioned from the pulpit. People call, email, and send cards. They rake your leaves. I was grateful, although a bit bewildered. During those six months of diagnosis, surgery, and radiation treatments, I never once prayed to God for God to take me during the night. I never cried myself to sleep over breast cancer. Never imagined what I did wrong to be so unworthy. There was no shame. The phone and doorbell, there there was no shame. Each morning I was happy to open my eyes. Sometimes I even longed for the phone and doorbell to stop ringing. I got free yard work for weeks and I got lots and lots and lots of casseroles. To be clear, this isn't about a church. It's about the church. My church tried in the best way that they knew how. I don't blame them for any inconsistencies. I had never noticed them before either. We can't know our blind spots by seeing them. We must feel them. It's complicated, isn't it? As people of faith, we are very good at meeting people in times of death and illness. There are no judgments around these things, and we do not need discernment about who was in the wrong. We don't have to wonder about whether one's grief is deserving of a casserole. The rules about other human conditions are not so clear. Casseroles for the death of a marriage, for a mental breakdown, for rehab. How can we know whose fault it is? We all learned that God's favor falls on those who follow God's good rules. Maybe then. It's just best if we offer a sympathetic side eye and let the chips fall. There are rules after all. Or maybe, just maybe the rules are understood, misunderstood. Maybe loving our neighbor is a rule that means need is need and grief is grief and a casserole is the love of God made real for all who suffer, no matter the cause, maybe. Let's pray. Father God, make us an authentic church. Help us build authentic relationships. If we're, if we're putting masks on anywhere in our life, Lord, help us know that we can take them off. We do not have to be ashamed of who we are in you and who you are in us. We don't have to be ashamed of our brokenness and our weakness. And and this is a tough one, our sinfulness. We want to, yeah, we want to be concerned when we're not wearing our new creation clothes. We want to be concerned when we're living in sin. We don't want to be certainly proud of it. But we need to know that we don't have to hide in those moments That we can come, as it said in Hebrews, with true hearts, sprinkled clean, washed of an evil conscience. We can come boldly before you and boldly before our brothers and sisters in Christ and we can lift our voices and we can sing your glory. And and even if we don't want to see your glory, we'll sing until we want to see it. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.